If you were with us last week, you know that this is sort of um, a part two of our topic of worship as we looked at Psalms 90, Psalm 95 last week and we'll look at Psalm 96 this week. And just to remind you that these, these along with a few others here in the 90s, are what, what are typically referred to as kingship psalms. And uh, by that, um, uh, it, it, you, you'll see a lot of uh, rejoicing and worshiping and praising because of the king. And of course, our king is Jesus. And our sort of what we're looking at in both of these weeks is that because Christ is our king, our worship as his people should reflect that reality. And if you remember from last week, we, we talked about how that begins with to shape the expression and reverence of our worship. And so we'll continue with that um, this morning as we look at Psalm 96, which has a lot of similar things to 95, but also gives us a couple of different uh, understandings of what our worship should look like. So with that in mind, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word here in Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read the whole thing for us. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, he, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. It's the reading of God's word. We pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for... Um, this time to be here. We pray now that as we listen to your word, that as we come under its teaching, we pray, Lord, that you would quiet anything out of my mouth that would get in the way of people hearing your truth. And to do so, would you give us your spirit as you promised to do to open our eyes and our ears to see things otherwise we could not. Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, this is a part two of uh, called a series on worship with these two psalms, and I think I want to start here, sort of as, as we, you know, bridge the not bridge the gap between yesterday and, and this morning, but to kind of set up what I what I want y'all to take away from what worship, biblical worship is trying to do. What biblical worship is trying to do is to get us to see Jesus in its simplest form. To get us to see Jesus, to see him, to praise him, to bring all things under him because he is what? He's our king. He's our God. And when I, um, and where I want us to pick up from last week is here is that Jesus is not just the object of our worship. It's not just what, what we're trying to see, not just who we worship, but Jesus is the reason that we can even be here 
in the first place at all to worship the one true God. He is who our eyes and our hearts need to see. He is why we have a right to be here this morning at all. And so last week we saw in Psalm 95 how the expression, the reverence of worship, how God's people get loud and how they get low. Right, by remembering what the great deeds of God, by remembering um, what he has done for his people to rescue his people. This morning, we take on two more aspects of worship that actually bring us outside of the worship service and into the world. Uh, but we begin to see that the only thing that that does is it drives us back here because we recognize that the one we come here to be with and to see, Jesus, is the one that gives us the right to be here in the first place. And that's really what I want to leave you all with and hopefully have this sermon in many ways sort of drive at uh, as we kind of close this chapter, both for the Psalm series, but also for these two, uh, these two sermons this, this week and last. So to get at that, you'll look at your bulletin. You'll see um, three things. There's the telling of worship. There's the bringing of worship. And there is the, um, the peace or rest. But I'm actually adding another word there, the, the relief of worship, okay. Um, so let's let's begin there. Just as if we started, you know, just as if we we ended last week, we're just picking right back up, okay. So let's look at the telling of worship. What, what do I mean by that when I say the telling of worship? Um, what I mean by that is is to talk about the subject of praise and what praise is. And you'll see it a lot in scripture. You read it in our text here. And praise is this, friends. Praise is nothing more or less than to talk about something that you love. Praise is talking about something that you love. And worship, just to give you a, a general definition of, of what I'm referring to as worship too, is biblical worship, is a corporate expression of a personal love. So last week we looked more at that personal expression, or excuse me, that, that uh, corporate expression. And this morning we're going to look at the, the personal love. And that's what we mean when, when we talk about the telling of worship, the praise of talking about some, something that you love. So let me start with this question. What is something that you talk about a lot? And maybe to, to figure that out, you've got to ask somebody who knows you. What is something that, that you're kind of known for talking about when I was in college, and even still today, I was known for my love for McDonald's. And some of you know that a lot of this is because this is my upbringing. My, my parents worked with McDonald's, and so I grew up under the Golden Arches, and I love McDonald's. And I can tell you everything about McDonald's except the recipe for the Big Mac secret sauce. That is locked tight. Can't get, can't get to it. Don't even ask. Okay. But college was my, my prime when it came to all things McDonald's apologetics. And I remember a dear friend of mine during our time in college saying these words. He goes, I can't believe you eat that stuff. Perhaps maybe what many of you are thinking at this point. I can't believe you like McDonald's. But friends, I'm, I'm here this morning to tell you that that did not stop me. From not only enjoying my number two two cheeseburger, cheeseburger meal with a Diet Coke two, three times a week. <laughs> it did not stop me from talking about my love for McDonald's and why it's the greatest and continues to be the greatest quick service restaurant in America, in the world. It didn't stop me from promoting and selling and talking about McDonald's to the point, and this is, this is, this is why I tell you this story, that sometime before graduation, my friend comes up to me and he says these words, and I've never forgotten them and I never will, and he says, Ryan, I've, I've got a confession to make. 
I've been going to McDonald's almost every week for the past six months, and I need to tell you that. (laughs) He's confessing. And here's what's strange about that, and this is the point. Here's what's strange about that. He says, all you're talking about it over the years, sadly, convinced me to go one day, and it was awesome. (laughs) And I can't stop. Sweet victory. Yes, I agree. McDonald's should pay me for the amount of marketing I give them. But what am I doing? What's, the, what, what, what's going on here? I am talking about what I love. This is what is meant by praise. This is what praise is, friends. It is talking about what we love. And worship begins with talking about what we love. And you could even say it even ends with talking about what we love. Worship can be hard to define. And as we talked about just a second, biblical worship is a corporate expression of a personal love. Um, but what are those personal loves of yours? If that's what praise is. Talking about what we love. And that's what is going on in the first six verses of this, uh, of this psalm. But not just in here to God, as we notice as we go through the psalm here in a second, but with others out there as well. Verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. In the first three verses, we have an upward view of worship and uh, in, in sing to the Lord a new song. And this isn't a new song in the sense that, you know, the choir director or uh, the worship director kind of put together some new chords and some new uh, music and wanted to share something with you. This is new in the sense that God's mercies are new to us every morning. That's the new song. That's the new song we come in here singing every Sunday as God's children because grace is so amazing. But the direction of worship is vertical, upward to God. But then it shifts and it goes horizontal, outward towards the fellow brothers and sisters uh, that, that we live with. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works to all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And what is praise again? It's talking about what you love. We praise all the time. You have you've, you've praised this week about your favorite TV shows. You've praised this week about your favorite books to read. Which restaurants to go to, your favorite vacation spots. We praise what we love, which just means we talk about it. That's what that is. And here's the interesting thing about praise to the watching world. As my friend demonstrated, it is compelling. It truly is compelling. And what's more compelling than just hearing somebody talk about what they love? That's what you're doing. That's what the people are doing. That's what God's people are called to be doing in this psalm. What then are some of the things, though, that we are telling the world about? Well, as you look there in verse 1, that he is the Lord, the one true God. Verse 2, we're talking about his salvation. Remember the Exodus. Of course, today we talk about Jesus. Christians talk about Jesus. Verse 3, his glory and works. Where here glory means heavy and weightiness. That is, this God, as we'll see shortly, is a God of substance and great reputation. When we praise in the worship service, we are telling God what we think and feel about him. When we praise outside the worship service, we are telling others why we love him. Why God is so great. Why McDonald's is so great. Why Seinfeld is the all-time greatest show ever. That's praise. And there's something more here, though. There's something much deeper that that changes sort of maybe the superficiality of the things that we praise, uh, like TV shows and restaurants. There's something more um, uh, deeper here that we get to uh, about what 
uh, our praise is to be and why we praise here um, in this way, which is the telling of worship. And it comes from finding out, our praise comes from finding out or remembering that something you once thought was true is actually false. The psalm takes just almost a, a right-angle turn here all of a sudden from all of this here in a second. And it just drives us into something that we have got to remember um, because this is the only place that praise comes from. And what would that be? It would be the things our hearts have put their trust in over the week that are not God himself. Let me say that again. Our praise always comes from coming in here and finding out and remembering that something you once thought was true is not true. Remember, worship is in here is to call those things to mind, things that we have forgotten that we talked about last week. And friends, one of those things is that our hearts truly are idle factories. Which means that our hearts are always looking to point at something and say, I give you permission to rule over me. Because I think that you can give me life and happiness. That's what an idol is. Praise comes forth when we find out or remember that this is what my heart gave permission to rule over itself. And it's false. And you come in here on Sunday mornings to be reminded of that. To be reminded that it is a bad king. And the only true good king that I should be giving permission to rule over me is Jesus. When you come in here and hear that and remember and confess that, it turns what? To praise. To outward. It's not a show. It's a personal, personal love. Corporate expression. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless, worthless idols. Verse 5. Look at that. It literally means all other gods are nothings. That's the literal translation of it. See, Christians are nothing more. You and I who profess faith in Christ are nothing more than beggars who have found living bread. And then we are, you know, can't stop talking about it and go out there and tell people where to find this bread. That's praise. Quickly, let's define idol, though, because this is important for the rest of the psalm. Is an idol a wooden statue made by human hands, which is what it would be referred to in this day and age? No. That's the representation of the idol, right? The idol is what the wooden statue promises to give you. Whether it's identity, life, meaning, happiness, comfort, pleasure. An idol is looking for something or someone and saying, make me happy. Give me success. Protect me. Keep me safe. Keep my enemies away from me because those are the ultimate things in my life. Nothing is above those things. That's an idol. And our hearts are always looking to grab a hold of these things and make them ultimate things. Because what we were created to worship. It's part of your DNA as a child of God. And in this day and age, it looked like praying to wooden statues made by hands in order to get these things. But today, who we ask or look to for life might not be a wooden statue, right? Made of human hands. But what we ask for to be our God, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Most of us would agree that wooden statues can't protect you. But we think money can. That's the idol. We think wooden statues today can't bring us happiness, but we believe a certain relationship perhaps can make me happy in all the ways that my heart longs for. That's the idol. But the reason the psalm calls idols nothings, friends, is because none of them can bear the weight of our own demands. And we know this, but we forget and that's why it's foolish, right? That's, that's also why everything you've asked to bear that weight for you, 
that person, that thing, right, has and will continue to always let you down. Why? Verse 5, because they are nothings. But the Lord our King made the heavens. Don't you love that contrast? And as we remember this, and here's the point, as we come in here and find out that something you once thought was true is actually false, you've got to tell somebody about it, right? In this way, our worship in here reinforces our praise out there, or at least it should. After remembering, we'll talk again about what we personally love. This is the telling of worship Long first point, I know, but there's, there's just so much in these six verses. Uh, but our praise is nothing more. That's what I want you walking away with in that first point. Praise is nothing more than talking about what you love. And therefore, it, there's nothing more natural than to talk about what you love. Whether it's Jesus or McDonald's. Moving on. Let's look at the bringing of worship for the sake of time. This is sort of uh, in, in, in verses 7 to 10. Um, But what I mean by the bringing is that worship, what I want you to see about worship from this text is that worship is not about receiving. Um, We come here to give, to bring first and foremost. You will receive, but it's not about that primarily. And as the the Psalms, as this Psalm, the flow of it here is that as as we go uh, about the telling of this God from our worship, as the telling of this God, the praising of this God goes out to the nations. And as the nations hear about it, they drop their nothing, nothings, their idols, and so do we. And then we come in here to bring the tributes, namely ourselves, to the king. That's how the psalm flows. Okay? In this way, worship is bringing, it is giving, it is not receiving. Derek Kingner calls this section of the psalm the king's due. The word ascribed there that you read over and over again literally means give. It means bring. And what are we giving? What are we bringing? Well, just, you know, again, we could spend so much time on all of this. I'm just going to list a few things. The first thing there in verse 7, we see tributes and gifts. We are bringing, again, the king's due, what he deserves. And this was often the best of what people or the, or of the country could offer. Material things, for sure. Resources. But it's, you see, it's a reversal of sorts. What we used to look to out here in our lives for worth and value and happiness those nothings, we now bring and offer up to the king who what? Gives us life. Who gives us identity. Who protects us. Who can bear the weight of what we ask. It is bringing our honor and our might into the sanctuary, which can be our reputations. can be our resources. Anything that, that we might have that we, think, that we think makes us something out there. But we offer it back. Because we agree that who we are is found only in the words of our king, which he speaks back to us. In other words, we do not hold on to these things. We give them back to him. Golden Gate writes it this way. Of course, Yahweh does have honor and might, which do, not, uh, which do need recognizing, as the psalm has affirmed. But the people themselves have some honor and might, and they are not to hold on to them. So worship is best understood primarily as giving, as bringing from Psalm 96. The second thing I want us to notice, though, is the text also says that we are bringing an offering there in verse 8. And this is what God has appointed to be in his presence. This would be some type of offering for sacrifice that brought atonement for your sins. Big word, I know. 
Today, we don't bring this sacrifice anymore. Why? Because we appeal to Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice and high priest. Which emphasizes that worship isn't about us getting something from God, but it's us bringing to him glory, honor, and praise and gifts because of what he has already given to us in Jesus. God is the one who has made things right in Jesus. We come to celebrate that good news, which is our, then what, new song. And here's how this psalm continues to flow into the worship, which pushes against, hopefully, our consumeristic tendencies as we think about church, as we think about where we will worship. You know, our, our tendencies are to think, I give my time and money, I expect something in return. And this is not what Christian worship is, according to these psalms. What if we don't like the preaching or we don't like the music, or we don't like the liturgy and the service. Well, I think there is always a place to weigh preferences, and we can talk about that. But not before starting with the premise, which is really the point of the bringing of worship. Worship is about bringing, not receiving, or consuming. Will you receive? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if it's about bringing our praise and adoration and confession and gifts to God, maybe, maybe I'm looking to take When the service is designed to lead you in giving to God. Because those are two very different services. The entire service that we put together here is designed to lead you to bring. To give to God what is his due as your true king. Will you receive in the process? Absolutely. But worship is first and foremost our bringing to God out of gratitude for what he has given us. Which is what? Salvation From our nothings that we thought could save us. That's the point. Another way to put this, friends, is worship is not about you. Worship is not about me. We matter, but we are not the point, as someone once said. It's not about how I even feel before or after the service. It's about dropping my nothings and coming before the one true God who is everything. One of the best things an older friend said to me one time about worship in in my stage of life and trying to figure out where to go to church and how to think about church and worship. He said, I used to not like services that made me think or were challenging to enter into. He said, I wanted that to be easy. And he's not saying this in a, you know, arrogant way. Um, Because, but I, but I think we are approach, but I, but if, excuse me, I think if we are approaching God, there should be some part of the service, not all but some part of the service that makes me work. That is hard because it means something other than my own comfort and and enjoyment is what's keeping me there. Worship should be challenging in some way by its very nature. We are coming to give and offer ourselves to God as he has requested, not as we request. He is the audience. This is the bringing of worship. Okay. Well, what do we find then when we come before the true king, dropping our nothings and offering ourselves? We find rest. We find peace. We find relief. And this gets to the final point here. Uh, uh, the, the peace or rest or what I'm now billboarding as the relief of worship. It is an exhale, friends, of the heart. Um, this week I received an email that perhaps maybe some of you have gotten before. Um, Maybe, maybe kind of just to set the stage a little bit, it's before uh, that you've really had that first cup of coffee to settle in. And you sit down and you check an email and, and you read this. Um, 
thank you for your payment of X amount of dollars for the annual subscription to blank. Your renewal has been processed and your subscription is now paid through 2020. And you have no idea what this is. You have no idea what subscription this is. You have no idea where this email has come from. You have no idea. You, you don't remember paying that amount of money for this thing. And you don't even use this thing. And this is the email I got. And of course, there's a bracket around it that says, do not reply. And immediately, like, uh, you know, the stress is, is, is building up, uh, the frustration, the injustice, because I know, like, what is it going to take? To even begin to try to get this money back. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Have I been hacked? Right? Mine's going in a thousand different places. And of course, if you've been here, you know that it's not so easy to find that number to call for customer support. If you're tracking with me, you notice how they do that these days? And I'm looking for that number on that website. And now I'm like 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes into my morning trying to find that number. And all they're trying to do and direct me to is to talk to the support team. Contact the support team. Would love to, but where's the number? And now I'm beginning to think, this is going to shoot my whole morning. I'm going to be on the phone with somebody for, you know, who knows how long. And and this is just never going to get rectified. And so as I navigate this website that has no number whatsoever, and I'm feeling like I'm my dad now at this point, wanting a number. I decide to go with the, the instant message access point to contact the support team. And so as I click there, it says, please tell us what your, your needs are, your problems are. We'll be happy to contact you within 24 hours. And I'm thinking, I'm asking for a refund and to get out of the subscription. This is the one thing you don't want to contact me for and about. But you know, I go against my urges and I type in that little box and I just say, hey, I, I don't even know what this is. I don't want to be a part of this. I have no idea how you have my contact. I would like a refund to have my canceled subscription. I begrudgingly hit send thinking I will never hear from these people. None of this is ever going to get changed. I'm going to, they've robbed me. I remember getting in my car heading for, this is, this is how your pastor started his week actually. Like they are, this is wrong. And I'm, you know, grabbing that, you know, steering wheel, just figuring out like, do I just let this go or what? And I kid you not. Within less than five minutes in the car, I get a reply back, 24-7 support team saying, thank you for your question. Your refund has been accepted and, and will show up in three to five business days. We have canceled your subscription. Thank you for choosing us, and we hope we can help you in the future. <sighs> what? I, I have never had that happen to me. And, and, I, and I, I, I say this because... I literally, if you could be in the car with me and you could, you could just hear the relief, right? The, 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 the justice, the, 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 the stress all gone. What I thought was going to take my day and be the biggest hassle turned out to be the easiest thing. The fairness and honesty of the company's quick response caused my heart to rest. Silly thing, right? But it's important. Worship of God does the same thing for us in here but in a much greater way. Because he's not only the one true God, he is fair and he is just. He will judge the peoples with equity, the text says there. Worship is the inexplicable exhale of the heart. It is a declaration that, as one commentary says, the disastrous freedom of the fall will be replaced by the only perfect freedom, which is serving God. And that's exactly how this psalm ends. It is all relief. It is all rest. 
It is all peace by all God's creation rejoicing because he is true and good and he is what we are longing for. We have dropped our nothings. We have come in here to sit under and have our hearts go after what is true and right and good. Look at it. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. That is the climax of the whole psalm. That is the the, the anchor statement of everything that we're doing here this morning. He reigns. And what happens when he reigns? The world is established. It shall never move. And I love how we can, as God's people, come in here and sing psalms like this, but also side by side sing psalms like 88. Where sometimes it doesn't feel like the world is established, right? Where it doesn't feel like he's reigning. But it says he will judge the peoples with equity, with fairness. And what happens when, when, that, when that is given in the congregation of God's people? The creation rejoices. It erupts. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Kidner says this, and it's perfect. Where God rules, his humblest creatures can be themselves. Where God is, there is singing. That's the new song we came in here. We come in here and we sing every single week. This is the relief of worship. This is what your heart has truly been longing for. But what is that new song again? What is that new song that we're, we're all about here? Why is worship the inexplicable exhale of the heart? Why is the creation going nuts at the end of this psalm? Why is there relief? And might I add, why might you find that same relief as you come in here and worship as, as well? It's knowing and it's remembering how God has judged with equity, with fairness. It is knowing and remembering why you can come in here in the first place and worship at all. And that is only because Jesus has taken that judgment for us by dying for us. That is your new song. That is my new song. And like last week where our remembering reinforces our reverence and our expression in worship. When we sing the new song again and again in our hearts of God's amazing grace and what he has done as our king. We want to what? Bring ourselves and all that we have before him and offer to him. We want to offer those gifts but then we also want to go tell and praise the world about this bread of life that we have been given. Do you see how it's wanting to shape you? What happens in here has everything then to do with what happens out there. All right. We need some quick application here. How do we continue to sing this new song each week then? What keeps us from singing this new song? Where do I start, Ryan, as I prepare and to think about worship personally? As I come in here for this corporate expression, and here's my one place I want to leave you uh, in, in this huge topic of worship. One way we continue to sing the new song, one place that we start is by remembering week in and week out that you and I don't have the right to be here to worship. But someone has paid for that right for you by their blood. That's the starting point. Starting here is how we continue to sing the new song. What keeps us, friends, from singing the new song and what kept Israel 
from singing the new song is by coming in here and thinking that we do have the right to be here to worship Jesus. What keeps us, and I want to be careful about this, how I say this, but I think this is what, as Americans, I think this is what makes it so difficult for us to understand worship in the Bible. Because as Americans, and thankfully so, we live in a country that, what, gives us the freedom to go to any house of worship that we choose. And I love that, and I will fight for that. But you know, as well as I know, that the kingdom of God and America are not the same. And while the U.S. government says you have the right, the Bible says you don't. None of us, as sinful people, as we even sang in holy, 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 have the right to come before a holy God and worship him. None of us, no matter where we live. You have the right to be in this building. Don't misunderstand me. But the God of the Bible is so holy and so powerful and so very God, as we just looked at in reading, that we must remember that we have no business coming before him, regardless of what our country says. In fact, if God's full presence were here, right, we would be terrified, trembling with fear. You don't have the right to be here. Your pastoral staff, let me be the first to say, doesn't have the right to be here. No one has the right to be here to worship the one true God. But it is easy to think that we do. And this actually is what keeps us from singing the new song of grace each week. Which then keeps us, what, from bringing our, our possessions, our tributes to the king. And it's what keeps us then from telling and praising about this wonderful new song that we have, which is the grace of God to the watching world around us. Not to mention the reverence and the expression that we looked at last week. The only person who has the right to be here is the one who from last week in Psalm 95 has not gone astray in his heart. The only person that has the right to be here is the one who knows God's ways, which means he's the one who has not only lived perfectly externally, but he has never had a sinful motive. That's the one who has the right to be here. And that is not us. It's Jesus, our King. He has the right to be here, which means then that you and I must be invited to be here. And that's not invited by the pastor, although you are invited. That's invited by the God whose presence we now stand. And how do you know, how do you stand this very moment before God? Through the blood of your king. Who didn't preserve his life for himself, but laid his life down for the many so that you might have the right to be here and worship. We come here only because of what another has done for us, and that is Jesus. That's the gospel. That is grace. That is the new song. And in that way, I become so drawn, right, to that new song. I become so drawn to him, what he has done for me and what he allows for me to do to come in here and worship him. That my preferences of worship, what begin to fade to the background, because I'm finally seeing him. And that's the purpose of worship, to see Jesus. Which is the only thing that what can give our idol factory hearts relief. It's the only thing showing you Jesus, leading you to Jesus, is the only thing that gives your idol heart factory relief from here. It's the only thing that gives you peace. It's the only thing that will drive our bringing. I've got to come back. Where else am I going to go? As the disciples said, to whom shall we go? 
It's what gives us someone to truly drop our nothings for, which drives our praise, our telling, not to mention again our reverence and expression, but it starts with who has the right to be here and why. You don't have the right to be here. I don't have the right to be here. Your theology doesn't give you the right to be here. Your money doesn't give you the right to be here. Your looks, your reputation, the way you vote doesn't bring you to this table, friends. The only way we get here is through the body and blood of our King. Of Jesus, who bids me to drop my nothings and to come again and again and again to him. That is our starting point. And friends, that is our new song that we sing this day. Let us go now to the table together and taste together as his family, as as this body why we have the right to even be here in the first place, that we may then leave this place with loud shouts of joy and praise, telling the world right, about what we have found. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we get in these wonderful psalms of how it is that you ask us to worship you. And I pray for what we have just heard And I pray that for our worship, both this day and for the rest of our lives, that we would begin by understanding that we are here only because of you. And that is the engine behind all of our worship. We come here to meet with you, to bring our tributes to you, to praise you for what you have done for us. Would that be the new song that you give us each morning as we wake, as we prepare for the week, as we come in here to worship you, as we we live as your church? Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen.